Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Podcast, everybody. I am Kaylee Fretz, here with the usual crew. Well, actually, minus James at the moment, because, uh, I don't know, it's 8 o'clock in the morning, and I'm not sure he's awake yet. No, he has a very young daughter. He's definitely awake. He's just not at work. Let's talk about bikes, as usual, today. We've got quite a few things on the docket. Some interesting news about none other than Mark Cavendish. Some new sponsor, a new sponsor for Team Sunweb. Some changes at the tour down under, uh, kind of to be expected there. And the first woman to direct a men's world tour team ever. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. Plus, we gave Shoddy another kit challenge, a $200 winter kit challenge. We're going to see how he did on that one. And we're going to hear from our Aussie colleagues about their recent field test. They just got back from a field test in Bright and are, well, they have a whole bunch to report on what they discovered, what they rode, what they liked, and what they didn't, and we're going to hear from them at the end of the show. But before we get into that, we open a lot of our podcast episodes here on the Cyclists Podcast with a request to join Velo Club, and there is a good reason for that. Velo Club allows us to do what we do, write about racing, men's racing, women's racing, write about dictators, I hope you caught that story, gravel racing, adventures, all sorts of stuff, allows us to create this podcast, Freewheeling, Nerd Alert, all these things that are maybe not the most monetizable, maybe don't make us the most money, but we can do it because of the support of Bell Club. So, if you like this podcast, head over to cyclingtips.com slash sign up and sign up. I'm going to give you 15 seconds right now to go pick up your phone that you're probably listening to this podcast on. Open up a little window in your browser that is cyclingtips.com slash sign up and save it for later as you're after you're done listening to the podcast. Go sign up. Ready? 15 Unless you can multitask. You can sign up. I'm still going to give you 15 seconds right now. Do it. I can edit in 15 seconds, you weirdo. (laughs) (laughs) I thought the 15 seconds was going to be you talking for 15 seconds, not just 15 seconds of air. No, no, no. 15 seconds of silence. This is an old interview tactic that I'm sure you're both aware of, where people don't like silence. And when you're having a conversation with somebody, they don't like silence. And so it's you can kind of have a silent off with them, right? Where if you just don't respond to whatever the thing that they just said was, if you just stay silent, sometimes they'll just keep talking. And that's often the best stuff in an interview. And so what I'm doing right now is I am having a silent off with our listeners to get them to go sign up for Velo Club because I'm hoping that the 15 seconds of silence is so awkward for them that they are willing to sign up to make it go away. Aggressive sales tactic. <laughs> the news, Dane. Some Cav news for us here. We haven't talked about Mark Cavendish in a while. What's going on? Yeah, he's got a team for next year. He will be riding on in the Pro Peloton in 2021, which was not a given. Uh, We had talked a little while ago about how he might be calling it a career uh, because he had said after, what was that race? Uh, Gent Wevelgen, maybe, I think it was. Uh, It was a race earlier during during the classic season where he kind of said, this might be it. And uh, it turns out that's not the case. He is going to be riding with Dequinit Quickstep in 2021. How do we feel about this? Fine. <laughs> I mean, it's always weird when you talk about cycling contracts. I mean, unlike most other sports, uh, we don't get the full details of of what the contracts are. We don't, we don't know how much a rider's being paid or what he's bringing on to the team. In, in Cavs' case, there's reports that he has sort of kind of provided the funding for himself, which isn't all that surprising. Um, you know, he's a pretty big name who can command some sponsorships. Uh, you know, if this were a, a big football club, 
or a baseball team, we could say, how are they paying this guy, you know, $40 million? What are they doing? But that's not how cycling works, which is kind of not fun at all. Uh, and it would be great if we got those details. Uh, but since we don't, it's hard to really say one way or the other. I, I do know that, you know, I, I kind of doubt that he'll be able to contribute at the sort of grand tour stage winning level. But if he's already, you know, if he's, if he's bringing on sponsors that are going to pay for his arrival, it's hard to really be all that critical of the decision to bring him on board. Yeah, it, it does sound like, you know, Patrick Lefevre is not going to be out of pocket all that much, right? If anything, to bring him on. It does sound like it's mostly him bringing on either, well, probably demanding a, quite a low salary to begin with, but then also essentially bringing on sponsors to pay his own way. So this is not too different from, for example... You know, Peter Sagan, when he when he first signed with Bora, part of that contract was actually specialized paying a bunch of the money straight to Peter. Probably not too dissimilar of a situation with Cav, where he's kind of brought in as almost like personal sponsors to pay his own salary to continue bike racing. You know, the team has already said we're not expecting him to win six Tour de France stages, right? That's just not going to happen. Uh, he is past his prime so to speak. But, you know, one thing we've learned over the years is not to discount sort of the terrier inside Mark Cavendish, the the desire to, you know, the scrappy desire to still get something done. I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if we see something pretty incredible this season, you know, one one more big win or something like that. Let's not forget that he's on a team that that tends to do a pretty good job of setting riders up for big wins like that, right? Because they tend to have a lot of different options. They've He's got a bunch of teammates who could probably win the same race. That is helpful when you're trying to pull off one more big win. And I, I think we might see it. I think we might see Mark Cavendish with one more big one from the 2021 season. I'd like to see that anyway. I, 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 don't, think, I don't think this 2020 season is the way that a rider like that wants to go out. Uh, you know, I think another big one and he can sort of doff his hat at bicycle fandom and ride off into the sunset. Personally, I think the big question is with him bringing over sponsors himself, is his the Jersey going to end up like uh, Androni? Is uh, Patrick Lefebvre going to be the new Gianni Savio? <laughs> is the Jersey just going to be littered in sponsors? That's the big question. I think personally, I feel like one of the other things about him joining is also the, the riders that they currently have on the roster and the way that the calendar has compacted with races already being canceled. And we don't really know like really how the calendar will shake out next year. We won't know until we're legitimately like on the start line. Right. So what races is he going to be able to do and what races is he going to be able to try for that win for himself? Because with the riders that they have, I don't really see like in the team meeting, the DS being like, all right, guys, we're going to go for Cav today. <laughs> You've got, you know. Yeah, that's yeah. going to be a difficult case to make, I would say, uh, going into next year. Yeah, he didn't really even have a whole lot of opportunities this year on a on a Bahrain team with nowhere near the level of sprinting talent that the Koenig Quickstep has. Uh, there's no Sam Bennett on Bahrain. Uh, De Koenig has like three sprinters that I would think would be getting opportunities ahead of Cav. Uh, so it is going to be hard. I, I, there, you know, there's certainly enough in a normal season. There are enough one-week World Tour races, you know, for 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 Cav to maybe get a chance here and there. But a Grand Tour is going to be that'll be tough, I think. Unless he can, you know, if he if he comes out, uh, you know, in great form in the early season, that's a different story. But that but that would be. Uh, Unexpected. Yeah, he's not the type of rider that's going to show up in a season sort of undercooked and be able to pull himself out of that, right? He's just not. He's not that massive sort of uh, physiological engine that tunes up really quickly. So maybe it was a motivation issue the last couple of years. It's hard to say. Uh, you know, and I, I think returning to this particular team is going to be better for his motivation than just about anything else. Although we we kind of said the same thing about joining Rod Ellingworth at, at Bahrain last year. Uh, that didn't work out super well but you never know like i said I, i'd like to see him i'd like to see him go out with something something special i don't know what that would be you know i can't see him winning like another san remo or, or, or something like that but a, a win that gets people talking again of some sort i think would be a good thing 
I wouldn't be surprised if he's just continued because he wants to race. It's as he just it's his life. It's his, not just his livelihood, but it's his life. Um, and you look at the way he reacted after Gent Wevelgen when he was crying. You can see what it means to him. Some riders would have been like, "Yeah, that's it. Call it a day. I'm not. I'm not the rider I used to be. I don't want to continue." He clearly just loves racing. I get. I, I get that impression that yeah, he's just got a, a passion for it. He could have packed up and gone and spent his millions years ago, but yeah, he continues because he wants to by the looks of things. Yeah. So I personally just think, yeah, he's, he's paying himself, if for want of a better word, by bringing sponsors on board to ride for a team that he knows he can get in good races with, but just enjoy the racing at a level that he wants to race at. I don't think I'd be surprised if he's got any expectations. I don't think he's a, a, de, a deluded character at all. He'll know how good he is and what he can do. Well, we'll keep an eye on this. We'll keep an eye on Kev next year. Wow, Big Hawk just flew by my window. That was super cool. Sorry, tangent. Let's move on to Fabio Aru. What's going on here, Dane? Yeah, he's got a new team as well. Uh, He is one of the many signings announced by the... Uh, the team currently known as NTT, that will be Quebeca Assos next year. Uh, they have just been rolling out one signing after another over the last two weeks, uh, after a couple of months of not knowing whether they were going to continue next year. Uh, now that they have their sponsorship sponsorship situation sorted, uh, unintentional alliteration, they have been yeah just announcing a lot of contract renewals and signings. Uh, Fabio Aru, one of the biggest names that they have signed so far, uh, he is a Grand Tour winner. He has, I think, five career Grand Tour top fives on his career Palmares. He's been on podiums multiple times. He's won stages at a, at a bunch of Grand Tours. Um, he hasn't really done a lot in the last couple of years. It's been a tough couple of years for Fabio Aru. Uh, he had uh, an iliac artery issue in his leg that uh, derailed a, a season, uh, but he's He's been back since then. He's raced since then, uh, I think, three Grand Tours and has not really been a factor. And there there was some uh, unhappiness from the from the UAE team. He's been riding for UAE for the last three years. Uh, there was some unhappiness over his tour this year. There was, I think, a little bit of hype heading in that, it, that he was going to be able to uh, contribute again after, after a long period of not really doing a whole lot uh, in the contention department. And he instead... Uh, yeah, he pulled out of the race on the ninth stage, um, and yeah, UAE brass just kind of blasted him in the media, and he didn't race after that for the team anymore. So, Aru hoping to get back on track with uh, Quebec Assos next year. He had kind of a halfway decent run up to the tour too. Like you could kind of see why he yeah. was why people thought that he was going to be okay. You know, he's 10th at the Tour de Land, which normally is like, okay, that's the Tour de Land, who really cares? But this year, the Tour de Land was, was a, a super important uh, sort of you know, run-up to the Tour. It, it, it came uh, just in sort of the beginning of August there. Uh, you know, some like not a not a terrible few weeks ahead of time, but then, yeah, to, to pull out of Stage 9, and he just really didn't have it even from the start. He has to prove this year that he can that he can ride at the front again or else, you know, he's going to really struggle to to stay in the sport much longer. I mean, the guy's 30 years old now. You know, we've talked before about sort of, you know, sort of 34, 35 being a, a lot of times the the point at which that sort of like inflection point at which a lot of riders really struggle to to stay at the front and he's not too far from that and he's just been he's been on the struggle bus for a couple of years. So, hopefully he can figure out whatever's been going on. Sometimes a team change can do that for you we were just talking about that with Cav. we'll see i think just like we were saying about about Cav. i mean without knowing the details of this contract it's really hard to say what the situation here is and if they're not paying him a lot i mean if, if relatively speaking he's not making that much money um for a grand tour you know experienced grand tour rider uh, for a team that doesn't really have that this could be a great signing, or, or if they're paying him a ton of money, it's probably not a great signing. It's really hard to say, uh, but I could see this being a pretty, you know, working out pretty well. He's not, 
he's not that old. I mean, you, you said he's 30, but you know, he still has several years left, I think, theoretically, if he can work everything out, if he can get back to some semblance of what he was five years ago, four years ago. Um, and, there, and again, there was a health issue that, that sort of led to some of his issues. Um, but I could see this being a great yeah. signing. And if they don't, pay, if they're not paying him that much, then it doesn't, you know, you're not, you're not really risking that much if it doesn't work. Yeah, out. I, I remember speaking with Jonathan Vodders about sort of signing strategy. This would have been like a year or so ago now, and you know, how, you you kind of you can either take a chance on really young riders that are still cheap, uh, particularly these sort of teams that don't have the massive budgets, right? So that would include, you know, that would include EF. That would also include. This new Asos Quebeca program, I can't imagine they've got a massive budget behind them. You kind of have two options, right? You, you go young before riders get good, and you try to hang on to them. And that can be really hard because then, you know, once a rider does get good, they get they often get picked up by one of these programs with a much bigger budget. When suddenly, you know, when suddenly one rider is worth 1.5 or 2 million bucks and your entire budget is 15, that, that becomes harder to justify. But the other option is to sort of like, try to grab riders kind of on their uh, on their downward trajectory on the other side when their value has started to drop a little bit because they are you know sort of on this probably the second half of their career they're on the on the on the the, the downhill side of their career uh, and it can work out really well because if it's a good if it's a good sort of cultural fit you can kind of get more you just get more years out of those riders and i, I think rigoberto Uran is a perfect example of that right we're like he had a lot of hype around him for a very long time, had some good results. JV kind of picked him up a bit on the on the sort of cresting of the hill, heading toward the backside of the hill, right? And he's been excellent for that program. I mean, podiums at the Tour de France. Uh, and I think that potentially this is what this is what Asos Kubeka could be trying to do with Fabio Aru, is try to pick him up sort of at the crest of that hill while he still could be good but probably isn't as, as expensive as he was three, four years ago. They also, I mean, bringing over uh, uh, Aru, they're also getting another rider from UAE who I, it's not going to be nearly the big fanfare, but I wouldn't be surprised if this if this rider got significantly better results. I, I'm, I'm expecting Sergio Anel to get some of the best results that the Quebec Asos team gets next year, along with Giacomo Nazzolo. Um, Anel is a pretty consistent contender in the one-week races that we often forget about, but that are kind of a big deal for a team that, uh, if they're looking for UCI points, uh, a guy who can win Paris-Nice and you know get on the podiums of, of that kind of race, and also be a great uh, great contributor as a support rider in Grand Tours, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of next year Sergio Hinao is the you know one of the best uh, ranked riders on that team, even if he's not getting nearly the hype that a former Grand Tour winner in Fabio Aru is is getting this uh, this week. Yeah, I think that team that team will pull together some wins. You know, between Nizzolo and Al, maybe an Aru back on form. It's looking like a pretty good program, uh, which you know, considering it, it very nearly collapsed, I think is uh, you know, kudos to Doug Ryder for for pulling it all together. Dane, say the guy, say his name one more time. Yeah. Okay. His full name is Sergio and now. Hey now. Hey now. <laughs> Can we get that every time we say his name from here on out for the rest of the year? That is definitely staying in the podcast for sure. <laughs> Let's move on. Sunweb has a new title sponsor. Not too surprising here. Uh, Sunweb itself is a is a vacation holiday company. Uh, for those unaware, um, there's a pandemic and there's not a lot of vacationing and holidaying happening at the moment. And so, not too surprising that this uh, this team has picked up somebody new. Pay the bills. There was something. Somewhat surprising about this uh, announcement in that uh, Jose Bean pointed this out. Uh, it didn't leak. There was no, there was no inkling that this was going to happen, which is kind of shocking when you consider. I mean, how many Dutch-speaking uh, people there are with that organization and media there are that cover cycling. Uh, that none of them called Het Newsblad or Het Laatste News and said, "Hey, we're going to get a new, uh, a new sponsor." At least as far as we know. Uh, we, I didn't see it reported anywhere. So for something like this to not uh, not get leaked in the cycling media, I mean that's pretty. That's rare. very true, actually. It's like the rest of the it's like the rest of the season. though. they've just surprised everybody, haven't they? Yeah, it's just the team is surprised. I mean, we, you know, we we hadn't heard anything definitive that they were seeking a new sponsor. Obviously, it's part of the, the not leaking thing. But there's no question that that a Tour de France like the Tour de France they had probably helped close that deal, right? There, there's that was a lot of of 
press and media and eyeballs on that team, this Tour de France. And if you're a if you're a major company and you're just trying to decide where to put your marketing dollars, I bet that was a but that was pretty effective for the top brass over at formerly Sunweb, now Team DSM. What is DSM? It used it's it's it used to stand for like the Dutch mining company, but it doesn't really do that anymore. It's more like a more like a GE now, I think, is sort of the American equivalent, kind of like does almost everything, right? Yeah, they do a lot of health and nutrition stuff, at least according to the, what I was reading. Uh, that's what that's what uh, USA said. Yeah, Wikipedia says that they are active in the fields of. Yeah, they are quote a Dutch multinational corporation, active in the fields of health, nutrition, and materials. So, there you go. That's what Wikipedia says. I definitely know what they do now. <laughs> yeah. Health. And and the de- design is clearly a mad fan of Team Sky, I'm guessing. <laughs> if anybody's seen the jersey, it's it looks like just a knockoff version of Team Sky from it a few is, years like ago. It is. It's like 2013 Team Sky, just sort of rehash. Yeah. They did kind of keep the Sunweb stripes, though, just in a yeah, different that's color. True. That's true. You got to stick with the color of, the, of the, the new sponsor, I guess. But Yeah. I wonder if they'll make white... White jerseys with the blue stripes for the summer, like they always probably, do. Probably, probably. But there's so much colour in that logo that the team's got that they could have done so much with it. Could have looked like an Il Belair's kit of years <laughs> gone by. <laughs> Not sure that's really what they should be going for. Let's move on. We're gonna, we're gonna. It's gonna take us, you know, a couple months to remember to call this team, Team DSM. Uh, but we'll get around to it eventually. There's always that early season trying to figure out who the heck is riding for which team and what their new kit looks like and what the new sponsor is and all that kind of stuff. But let's talk about the Tour Down Under. This is obviously usually happens in January. It's the the big opener to the World Tour, at least the men's World Tour. Uh, hasn't been a women's World Tour race. It's changed a bit uh, for kind of obvious reasons. I mean, uh, Australia, we know this because our, our colleagues are over there, has been, they've been very successful dealing with coronavirus. Uh, and big part of that has been just really clamping down on, on their borders. And, you know, it's, it's difficult to get in and out. And even, even Australian citizens were having trouble getting back into Australia for a little while. Uh, you know, they just recently came out of some pretty heavy lockdowns, at least in Melbourne, where our, where our, we're, we're kind of, CTHQ is. Uh, what's going on here? What's going on with TDU next year? It looks awesome. Um, basically, it's turned into like a multi-discipline cycling bonanza, um, which is the the stage race for road racing is four days for the men and women, and they overlap. Like that's something that doesn't happen at the usual tour down under the women's race happens. And then there's a couple days and then the men's race happens. But for, for the NRS race, it's just going to be, uh, four days, four stages, men and women, including Wollonga Hill for the women, which is awesome. Um, there's also a cyclocross race, uh, which is one of the few cyclocross races apparently that's supposed to happen. Um, and really, really cool is a paracycling wheel race. So that's, that's awesome. They've added like a bunch of, a bunch of fun stuff, a BMX race. Um, and then the, the end, end is a mass participation ride, which like being in Europe slash the U S you say mass participation. And I like my heart like starts to like bleed tears and I'm like, Oh God, no, but Australia is doing a lot better often um, than we are. So that's awesome that they are able to do that. And yeah, I mean, it's still, you know, a month away, a month and, and a week, week, couple weeks away. So we'll see, but I mean, this is awesome. I love that they've done this. I love that they've integrated multiple different kinds of cycling into into the four days and, and into the event in general. And I love that they have the men's and women's races overlapping, which it would be tricky to do with the regular tour down under, given that the men's is a world tour and it's on a much bigger scale. There's like a bacchillion more people that come into Melbourne for that, like just the people who come to watch the race. So I could see how you couldn't have the overlap or for the full event for the men's and women's in a normal year. I feel like it would be awesome to have overlap for like the last three days of the women's race and the first four, three days of the men's race or something. But anyway, yeah, cool stuff. Cool. Do you know how many, uh, new cases Australia had 
yesterday? Zero. Nine. Nine. Mm. So th- <laughs> no, this is why they can have fun bicycle events and we and Europe cannot because um, here in the United States yesterday, Mm-mm. don't read it. That's no, 173,000. That's <laughs> 173,000 <sighs> versus nine. It's yeah, it's like. It's, it's something. something. It's it, yeah. It's it's why Australia gets to have bike races, but why they're not going to let Americans or Europeans into Australia to have bike races. So that is the reason for the update to Throw Down Under. We know we have a fair number of Australian listeners on this podcast. So uh, if you've never been to TDU, it's going to be a bit different this year. But it sounds like it's still going to be a pretty fantastic event. I would highly recommend heading down there. It's sort of a big, you know, big Australian bike party. And it's super fun. So head on down. Check it out. If it's safe, obviously. If it's still safe by January. Things can change fast. But they seem to be doing a pretty good job in that part of the world. Sorry, what would be lovely lovely to see is if this is like a massive success and they're able to drag a load of these uh, bits and pieces from this year over to future years when there is the TDU on and be able to have like a a big multi multi-event thing rather than just the t- the women's race and the men's race because at the moment yeah it is a big party but you've just sort of got the uh if you've ever been there you've got the the big events area outside the hilton hotel and then all the the race is sort of often on a spoke away mm-hmm. from there but yeah it'd be really really interesting to see if they yeah can drag some of these yeah. Over to Even more year. stuff that's sort of for the regular amateur cyclists to participate in, which is super cool. Because obviously Adelaide's got um, quite a few festivals through the year. One of the biggest is, um, I think it's a comedy festival, if I'm right in saying. So they know how to put a good event on. I think on. jazz too. I think they have a jazz thing down there. I don't... I said good events, <laughs> Kaylee. I feel like more races could partake in the fun of other disciplines in cycling. Um, like... For example, in Colorado, we have the GoPro games where there's tons of different stuff and it's basically a full week long of like kayak races, stand-up paddleboard races, um, climbing events, like all of this crazy stuff. And there's also a mountain bike race and a road time trial. And the entire thing is just so cool with a ton of different booths from different different uh, companies and and it's really, really awesome. And, and like, I think that I've taken part in it every single year I've known about it, even when I, you know, didn't want to race, I've like gone and watched because it's just super, super cool that they do that. And like at the start of the Tour de France, sometimes they have people riding around on those tiny little weird bikes with the spoke, spokey with the things sticking out the back wheel and they can do tricks and stuff like BMX that. BMX bikes? You know, look at are those that's what those are? Okay. Well, those things. I thought, <laughs> yeah, I thought but, you were talking about. I thought you were talking about Cavendish because he's quite small, isn't he? <laughs> no, I mean Caleb Ewan as well. No, but I, yeah. I thought. But they they have like they look like they had like not slick tires, but not like mountain bike tires. I think you're anyway, talking about BMX bikes. I've never bikes. seen a BMX bike. I don't know what I'm. I don't know what I'm talking about. All right. Ever, all right so but, uh, I have a. There's I, a homework assignment for you, which is oh to. And this has been. This has been. A homework assignment that I assigned to Ian ages ago, and he hasn't done it yet. He, you need to go watch two movies. One is BMX Bandits, which is Nicole Kidman's best movie. First movie. Very best, first best movie, movie as well. It's her best movie. And the second thing you need to go do is watch Rad, which is just the best movie, period. So you need to go do these things, and you will fully understand what the little bikes are all about. You will you will take this in, and you will you will deep in your soul know what BMX means to the sport of cycling. I mean, in my mind, I don't actually know how you would put into place like not for the huge road races. It doesn't make sense at the tour to try to also have a 
cross race at the start or something like that. But imagine that you went to a race and you watched the road race take off and then you walked over to the park next door and there was there was a cross race going on or or if it was like a mountain town and you could like watch the road race take off, go over to the mountain bike track, watch the cross country and then co- go back and watch the finish of the road race or something like that. I don't know. I just feel like I'm it'd sorry. be sweet. You Bikes just pivoted away from my homework assignment immediately. You have to agree to the homework assignment that you're going to go watch Nicole Kidman's greatest movie and Red. Kaylee, we're in the middle of watching The Legend of Quora, and it's very important that we get through this. So I will consider your homework assignment. Unfortunately, you're my boss, so if you really <laughs> mandate that I watch it. Although Ian's gotten away with it thus far, so I feel like I could also well, get away with it. Ian's assignment was to somehow figure out how to interview Nicole Kidman about BMX Bandits. That's what we want. So if anybody, if any of our listeners out awesome. there know Nicole Kidman, like, you know, just buddies or you saw her one time or you've like, you know, DM'd her on Instagram. I don't know. If you know Nicole Kidman, let us know because we really, we want to get in touch. We, our people want to talk to her people and we want to talk to her about BMX Bandits. Maybe she's a listener. Maybe she's a listener. A game that I play, a game that I play quite often is how many steps away from Taylor Swift am I? And if we play this game right now with Nicole Kidman, we can easily deduce that we are probably pretty close, actually, because Garrett Thomas trains in L.A. Mm. quite a bit. He spends a lot of winters there. And I feel like he's high enough in, maybe not in fame to get close to Nicole Kidman, but maybe close enough to get closer to someone else, Kristen Bell, perhaps, (laughs) um, who could in turn pitch to nicole kidman an interview i think we can make this happen all right so listeners out there let us know if you can help because uh this is an assignment that i gave ian i don't know like in in i think it was last winter last spring and it's taken him this long and he hasn't got anywhere so please do let us know and this is a ridiculous and also abby you have to go watch bmx bandits and rad our listeners if you have never seen bmx bandits and rad you need to go watch these movies because they are foundational to the cycling experience in in very much the same way as like uh, Breaking Away or something like that, which is also a movie you should go see. What movie is (laughs) that? Just kidding. Are you kidding? Okay, good. Yes, I'm kidding. (laughs) Final news item before we get into Shoddy's $200 challenge and then into Nerd Alert. Sherry Pridham is going to be the first woman to direct a men's world tour team not the first woman to direct a men's professional team period though right yeah so uh in 2014 rachel heel of the united healthcare professional cycling team which is a team out of the united states that no longer exists directed at milan san remo so she directed at a world tour event a men's team but it was not a world tour team it was pro continental and then uh, a couple decades before Rachel, there was Robin Morton, who is just an absolute legend in cycling. Uh, Google her if you want to know. Um, but yeah, Sherry Pridham is the first female director sportif on a world tour men's team. So that is working full time for a men's team as a DS. And her quotes about it were awesome. She basically is just said, I'm a director sportif. Like there's no female director sportif in the title. She's a DS. Um, and yeah, she's been involved in men's professional cycling for a while now. So this isn't like going to be a new thing for her working with the dudes. Um, but it's definitely a step up from, from the team she's working for previously, which is Vetus pro cycling that she was uh, director, manager and owner. So everything she ran the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So she she she's gonna be directing Israel Startup Nation from the car next year. Uh, what else do we What else do we know about Sherry? I don't I don't I don't know too much about her. I think if you if you exist in the sort of British racing scene, you probably know more about her and more about Vitus and things like that. But she's kind of outside my normal purview of, of domestic racing. Yeah, she's got a lot of experience with that team and. Uh... You know, had had for many years been running uh, that team, which has been pretty successful on the 
on the road circuit in in the UK. And this year, they they, uh, I mean, like every other team at that at that level, I uh, really had to kind of switch gears with the with the pandemic and all the racing canceled, particularly kind of the the lower level, the domestic scene racing. Uh, and they became one of the top Zwift teams out there, uh, and did did so, you know, with with some talented riders who were already good at Zwift, but uh, that's not an easy transition to make. And they did that uh, pretty pretty well. Uh, I, I talked to her uh, a few months ago for uh, an article I did on on Team Tactics racing on Zwift uh, back in April, and uh, just kind of talked about the, the sort of the transition there and what that's like. Uh, and she had already, you know, they, they'd already. Even by April, moved into into doing that as a as a big focus of theirs. So uh, clearly, someone who's pretty adaptable, uh, who can who can uh, switch gears uh, when called for, uh, because that that team was yeah mixing it up with with some of the best teams out there uh, on the Zwift circuit when when it suddenly became necessary to do so this year, which which most of us probably weren't expecting, and already by April they were up there uh, mixing it up. Next on the agenda here, Shotty's two hundred dollar winter kit challenge. Shadi, we, we, we gave you a challenge before to do a $200 summer kit that included like helmets and shoes and everything. And so you thought that a $200 winter kit challenge where you didn't need helmets and shoes, because in theory you've already got them from your summer kit challenge, you thought that would be easy. Turned out to not be the case, right? That is 100% correct. I thought, yeah, add goods, you don't need them, do you? So we're only going to need the soft goods, the tights, the undershirt. The jacket, the the socks, the gloves, uh, the bits and pieces to keep your head warm. And it's amazing how much um, it can eat into that $200. I was uh, quite surprised how long it took me to actually find bits and pieces that would actually fall into getting everything for $200. $200. A lot longer than it took me to find all the bits and pieces for the summer mm. version. Um, so what did you end up with? Like what what were the well, yeah. what were the big takeaways? I mean, where did you struggle? What were the easy ones to find? Because we should say that like the kind of test here was you know you went out on a on a ride uh, near your house in in Annecy and it's you know it's it's close to zero Celsius thirty two degrees Fahrenheit it's cold but not like crazy 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 cold but cold and a little bit damp that was kind of the test that you were gonna put this stuff through so what what passed what failed. Where did you struggle? Yeah, I'd say it was an, a sort of an average winter for most people who live in the Northern Hemisphere. There's none of these extreme crazy temperatures that you see. But yeah, here it's zero degrees Celsius. Uh, like I've just been out today, uh, two degrees, a uh, little bit damp in the air, snow on the ground. So I just wanted to prepare myself for that sort of weather. And um, kit-wise... Tights, I managed to pick a pair from DHB, which uh, I thought I'd go down that route because the, the the shorts that we got from them for the summer challenge were were pretty good, or at least the padding them was very good. And that pad has been brought over to the to the tights, warm enough uh, for that sort of temperature, um, but not as good as obviously some of your more expensive stuff. I could actually blather on there and a full list of everything I got but basically what I found out is that you need to spend way more than $200 <laughs> well, way more than $200 to keep keep yourself warm it's it's an area of your clothing that I do what personally think you can't get away with skimping on too much because if you're out for um, a nice long ride middle of winter and you're, you're chilly many miles from home you're going to regret not spending an extra few books on a pair of nicer gloves or woollier socks. Yeah, I mean, you, you did find a couple good items that were in that sort of, you know, budget kind of price range, right? Like, oh, yeah. You know, you, the Defeat wool socks you loved. Uh, I think you know, lots of yeah. us are fans of that. And obviously, socks, you know, even even an expensive sock is 15 bucks. So that that's a great place to, you know, put 15 bucks down and make, get, a, get a nice sock. I think that the DHB tights you were pretty pleased with. It was really... It seemed like it was the it was kind of the heavy jacket that you that you didn't like, or I guess not heavy enough jacket. Basically, you 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 picked up a jacket that was said it was for winter, and it just turned out to be a little bit too thin. And in looking around, you really struggled to find anything that you felt like would be sort of thick enough and warm enough for true winter riding. Exactly, I thought I'd go down the route of 
layering rather than just one jacket and an undershirt. I went for uh, a jacket with an undershirt and then a, like a, a shell over the top of rain jacket so it was a bit more versatile. Wrong way to do it. Just don't go out in the wet weather and buy yourself a good winter jacket. That's that's my <laughs> advice because the, ja- the the jersey and the jacket were not inferior, but even together, not as good as a a, a quality jacket that you're going to splash your uh, 130 euros, 150 dollars on. Uh, it's just, yeah, they're the items that are sort of eat into the budget big style. Like today, I've been out in a 200 euro jacket. I know that's exactly the same price pretty much as uh, what I spent on everything else. But this thing's going to last. It's going to last and last and last. And it's, I think that pays dividends in the long run. You're not going to get an item that's going to get eaten by the rain and the snow and the sleet and the salt off the roads here and have to be replaced every every, um, winter. My own... uh... I've kind of run into similar things, right? We're, we're f- finding truly good winter clothing. And winter is really when having good clothing matters, right? You can get away with almost anything in the summertime. Maybe it doesn't breathe as well. Maybe it doesn't, you know, move sweat as well. But you're not going to freeze to death, right? You're just going to be a little bit warm. In winter, it really matters that you have good clothing. However, I, I, I have found that you can often look outside the cycling space to to dig up some stuff that works quite well. For example, here in Colorado, we do a lot of sort of climb up the mountain and then descend, which means that you are hot, hot, hot all the way up, and then you're freezing cold coming down because you're basically just gliding into a 30-mile-per-hour headwind for 15 minutes, right? So I've started doing things like I have, you know, like puffy vests and things like that for skiing or, you know, for hiking or for whatever else you're doing in the outdoors in the wintertime, and I just chuck one of those in a handlebar bag, and I stick the whole puffy vest on for my descent right and that's something that i already own that i can use for other sports that i that i you know that i just sort of have around that can be repurposed into cycling gear on the same side of that coin is stuff like gloves uh my favorite gloves are made by a company called kinko and i ski in them i have the mittens for skiing and i have the gloves for skiing in warmer days or for riding and these are like $32 $32 or something like that. You can get them in places like gas stations and hardware stores and, and, and or you can buy them online. That's a that's a very, very affordable, very, very warm. I mean, I could wear these gloves down into temperatures in the 20s Fahrenheit, so so negative temperatures Celsius for 30-something US dollars, right? There, there are options out there. Sometimes you have to take a, a, take a look outside the bike world and be willing to maybe not wear the, the cycling kit to keep yourself warm. It does work. A hundred percent. I've had plenty of people contact me on uh, social media channels and on the YouTube channel telling me what bits and pieces they buy outside of the cycling world as well. A, a few people seem to pop into their local, um, I don't know, Bunnings or what, Home Depot <laughs> and buy like builders, build, winter's builders gloves. And you yeah, that's, them. That's not too far off. Deep, deep not too far off what I'm using. So the Kinkos are—they are an outdoor glove. They're not like a builder's glove. But I had a friend, uh, I had a friend in college who, I remember he won one of our collegiate races. It was like just over freezing and and raining, and it was like the worst day ever on the bicycle. And he did so in literally a pair of like giant leather workers gloves that he had picked up at the hardware store and he won because he was literally the only person in the entire field that could feel his hands so yeah you can you can like i said look outside cycling go find go find stuff that just works that might be cheaper and be willing to uh, maybe experiment a little bit i mean if you you know you put 20 30 bucks down on a pair of gloves if it doesn't work it's not like you just broke the bank it's not like you just spent 150 dollars on some hestras or something like that uh just just give it a shot because a lot of times that stuff will work better than you expect it to I have another solution for this, which is a $190 smart trainer that you could use to ride inside and not (laughs) ride outside. No, no, no. What if you just didn't? What if you just didn't ride when it got cold? (laughs) Then you wouldn't have these issues at all. This this is... 
This is a foolproof and I do a solution. bit of that. I just start going skiing. Yeah. But no, you want to you want to want to stay fit through the winter and plus like, you know, like this this weekend, just yesterday for example, I rolled out and it was just over freezing and then, you know, a couple hours later it's nice and warm, but you know, you when you want to get out when it's sunny and warm and it's a nice Sunday in the middle of winter, you get the occasional nice day, nice ish, still cold. Go for a run. Yeah, you got to Hell no. <laughs> I agree with Kaylee. I, I agree with Kelly. I'd that is ride absolutely not happening. <laughs> then run. Yeah. Is it Eddie Merckx that said, uh, race in the rain, train in the rain? So if he, if he says it, it must be I, right. I, I, I don't want to do so either yeah. of those things, actually. Rain is where I'm, nope, nope. That's why I live in Colorado, where it doesn't See, rain here. <laughs> some places of the world, you have to, like up in the northwest of the UK, where I grew up, it's, it's a necessity to learn to rain in the ride. Otherwise, you'll only go out riding maybe four yep. times a year. Well... But I think I've found my next challenge. Maybe I should see if I can kick myself out for cycling by not going to a bike shop. Ooh. Like pop into a garden centre, <laughs> petrol station, second-hand shop. I think, I think shop. that's a great idea. I wonder what you'd get for a helmet. That so might yeah. be interesting. <laughs> yeah. I can't Riding wait for in. you to MacGyver your own <laughs> chamois. Yeah. Got, you know, cut up an old uh, hot, like one of them seats for the horses. So, uh, I've heard of people going chamois. Tim Johnson, actually, former cyclocross pro, is a big no chamois fan. No joke. He's a he's a no chamier. He told me this, and I've seen it in person. So I've gone by setting them. <laughs> I've gone by setting them really expensive Prada cycling shorts that you see. The 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 flash people wearing. Abby, it's not like he like pulled his pants down for me. I just know because I was near him and I could see that Dave there was no the shame. <laughs> Tim Johnson judge swears me. by it. Swears by it. I judge him. I am judging him right now for his decision. Anyway, I think that's a good challenge for Shoddy to 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 jump on next. Can he outfit himself without buying without going into a bike shop or buying any bike specific clothing? I think that's a fantastic challenge. Well, I think it's time for Nerd Alert, and this week's Nerd Alert comes from Australia, where our Australian colleagues spent the last week on holiday in Bright testing bicycles. It looked pretty fantastic. They were doing another field test. Some of you might remember our field test from the spring, where we went down to Sedona, Arizona, and tested a whole bunch of gravel bikes. Well, they were testing road bikes in Bright, and they filed this segment before we flip to them real quick can i just say that um if we're gonna throw to them we should say on holiday the way we say it okay <laughs> just because they say on holiday doesn't mean that we have to adopt that that's true of speaking, they're on okay? vacation yeah yeah all right come on. sorry i apologize our colleagues were on vacation for a week they were calling it work but i was watching them on instagram and it was it definitely on wasn't holiday. it definitely wasn't i was trying to you know switch into their version of of english because they're about to be joining us on the podcast here trying to make them feel at home but no they're on vacation so here they are So we're here in Bright, uh, Victoria's high country. We've been testing a whole lot of bikes this last week. Uh, it's Dave Rome here. I am here with Andy Van Bergen and Ian Trelaw from Cycling Tips. And the three of us are feeling a little tired after the week that has just gone by. What has happened? Well, let's start by talking about the setting. We're in, we're in the township of Bright, which is in Victoria's high country. It's a region which is known for its mountain passes. It's a region which is known for its mountain biking. And probably more recently, it's a region that's also known for its gravel. It's an incredible mix of terrain, and it's the perfect place to be testing bikes. I think in the industry, we call that a match made in heaven. And we've, we're talking about location. More specifically, we're not just in Bright. We're in Dave's bedroom right now in yes. Bright, yeah. which, uh, which has its own sort of ambiance. Yeah. Yeah, I think my hanging jacket in the the forefront, and uh, yeah, the uh, the birds, the handmade birds that line the bedside tables, is a nice touch. Can't say it's uh, it was my choice of deco, but I I don't disagree with it. So yeah, see Ian. I'm sorry to derail things so early on. That's all right. I feel like that's where things are going to go. So 
should we talk about some of the bikes that we've been testing? Uh, so, Andy, you and I have been testing mostly road bikes, and we had a few outliers to that. Uh, initially, we had plans to test uh, a whole bunch of the new all-round road bikes that had come out over the last 12 months basically all the road bikes that look the same as each other we wanted to see if there were any differences that we could feel uh, unfortunately there's a pandemic on and turns out that uh, brands that promised us that they'd get us a bike from whatever country it took to get a get us a bike from uh, couldn't get us a bike from any country uh, so yeah we ended up with four road bikes and filled our filled our week uh with a few other bikes um but should we talk about the gravel bikes that you had ian yeah in the absence of road bikes you get this guy riding some gravel bikes and i i think that we can all agree that that's a, a much more diverse offering than just road bikes that's more exciting for me it's probably uh <laughs> less homogenous for everyone else but whatever so i've got uh three gravel bikes here or i have had three gravel bikes here on test. I've had Richie's Outback Breakaway. I've had the Fujijari Carbon 1.1. And I have had a third bike, which is called the Curve Kevin of Steel. Uh, on top of that, we've also had a couple of bikes from Giant, the Giant Revolt Advanced and the Giant TCX Advanced, which we've kind of done a little comparison of, one of them being a, a gravel bike, one of them being a cyclocross bike, but both of them kind of blurring those lines between the two categories. And, and the outcome of that being that we found out that the TCX, which uh, Wade has been riding a lot lately as his choice of gravel bike, is actually not such a great gravel bike. And turns out Giant's own gravel bike is the better gravel bike. I think what we learned also is that the TCX, the cyclocross bike, is a cyclocross bike. Yeah. Yeah. But we decided to review it as a gravel bike because it had gravel tires on it. So, I mean, every bike's a gravel bike, right? Isn't that the saying? And we were trying to figure if that's the case when you've got a bike with a UCI sticker still on it. But it turns out a gravel bike is the best kind of gravel bike. Unless you're talking about the Canyon Exceed hardtail mountain bike that we had here, which in my opinion is a much better gravel bike than any of the gravel bikes we had here. But Ian, you have something to say to that? I'm just saying let's let's keep the, keep the handlebars curly, please. Okay. That said, that bike climbs better than any of the gravel bikes, we must admit. Like traction, uh, it's stiff frame. That was a lot of fun, that bike. I wouldn't know because I'm taller. <laughs> yes. That's that's probably a pretty interesting element is that uh, I'm shorter than Ian is. So that is why we couldn't test the same bikes. So that is why we're on very different bikes. Uh, Andy Van Bergen happens to be roughly in the middle of Ian and I in terms of height, and he was a little greedy with his kilometers this week. He managed to ride all the bikes uh, all the time. Uh, you're looking the most tired out of all of us. Dare I say you've had the biggest week. Uh, Andy, what, uh, what did you enjoy riding the most? I think, look, to, to be truthful, I enjoy riding any type of bike, and I, I enjoy riding different bikes because every single bike has its own personality and flair, and it, it gives you a different feel for the road or the setting that you're in. So I think any bike I'm, I'm always going to enjoy. So I was really a pig in mud this week. I was I was able to you know straddle a mountain bike, go and ride gravel, um, and hit some beautiful road passes as well. It did mean that there were a couple of extra Ks. Um, I do have COVID legs uh, this this year, um, or lockdown legs. Probably I haven't had any disease or anything like that. But uh, with with lockdown legs, it certainly made it a little bit more interesting. And there were more than a couple of times this week where we started climbing up another hill, and I was just thinking, "Oh my god, like here we go! Like, do, do I actually have the legs to, to test this bike out properly?" But um, a lot of fun and uh, and really interesting che checking out so many different bikes. I think the one thing it really highlighted to me was how much the lines really are blurring between different bikes. Uh, there seems to be less distinct categories and more this this general blurring in between lines. And you think tire clearance is a big part of that, or do you think there's something else to it? Yeah, I think tire clearance has a big part of big part to play in that, and we'll obviously discuss that this in a lot of the the detailed videos that we go through. Um, but the majority of the bikes that we're testing, whether it is gravel or whether it is road, all have the capability to fit wider and wider tires. And um, you know that's going to either if you if you're going a bit narrower, you're obviously going to have something that's a little bit more race focused, but you can go a little bit wider and access terrain that that particularly you know, that potentially you couldn't 
have before. Uh, and it really is turning some of these roads into into more all road, road bikes than just pure dedicated race machines. Yeah. And within the road bikes, we were trying to answer that. So we had three proper race bikes and we had a bit of an outlier, which is the the Savella Caledonia, which is a very new take on uh, a performance road bike meets an all road bike. So it's, it's kind of your state of the art endurance road bike that can fit 34, 35 mil tires. And probably a perfect point to actually introduce the other road bikes that we tested, Dave. So the other three road bikes that we had. Yeah, so we were testing the the Kenyan Ultimate CF SL, which isn't really a new bike, but uh, it's still crazily competitive given that it came out three years ago. Uh, we had the new giant TCR Advance Pro and we had the Trek Amonda SL. So the, the giant TCR Advanced and the, the Trek Amonda are definitely extremely comparable. And there's going to be a lot of people interested to hear how we like those and how we compare them. One of the other trends that we noticed, um, we were talking about tire width, was obviously the saddles. And we're seeing saddles that are, that are you know, definitely changing. So, Dave, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, yeah. So, uh, Specialized, I, I think, can take credit on this one for the Specialized Power Saddle, that short nose saddle. Um, definitely that has become a trend. So, uh, it seems that brands have caught on and are no longer stocking their bikes with crappy saddles um all the bikes all the road bikes that we had on test with the exception of the budget uh demane uh trek demane al disc uh all came with uh, the short nose style saddle which uh all of us pretty much found comfortable uh out of the box and that's not always the case with uh with stock saddles of the past and then in terms of trends ian what were you seeing on in the gravel side of things i think we had uh increased movement towards dual wheel sizes so pretty much everything that we looked at had the ability to take 650b with pretty wide rubber as well as increasingly wide 700c tires but there were also a lot of uh, a lot of bikes which had ability to carry an awful lot of things on them um, so there were mounting points as far as you could see there were top tube bags there was there was all sorts of craziness going on there was a shoulder pad which was a bit exciting uh it was what bike was that that was the fuji jari 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 hari jari we had to look that up yari not a yari definitely not a yari you're being stupid dave <laughs> and what about bars like uh we obviously had the uh, something pretty interesting happening with uh with handlebars um one of the particular gravel bikes that you were testing indeed there there were some wide handlebars on offer there was the curve warmer bar on the curve kevin of steel that's a wide handlebar uh, my favorite part of that is you went on and on about the handlebar and how crazily wide it was. And then uh, to Andy's surprise, it turns out that that was actually the narrowest version that they offer. I'd also like to point out that um, prior to testing, I, I got to ride this bike around Melbourne a little bit. And in Melbourne is the, the name of the bridge, uh, the bridge which this handlebar is named after. It's a very narrow pedestrian bridge. And they only just squeezed down there. I don't know how in God's name you would fit the, the full length bars not well probably not yeah any other trends that came up on some of these bikes i mean some of these bikes are pretty new that you're testing um one had prototype parts on it and uh anything that you wanted to talk about there no okay no comment do you want to do you want to talk about that head badge let's talk about that head badge because there is a head badge on one of the australian bikes that we were testing which got these two between andy and ian they could not stop talking about this so Curve have a very good head badge. It's a cockatoo. In Australia, we call that a cocky. And we had to re-record the video because we thought that our international listeners might not understand what a cocky was. But a cocky is a cockatoo. It's kind of like a, a big, fluffy seagull that uh, that makes noises. and um, It's a beautiful Australian parrot. It's a, is, is it a parrot? I think so. I mean, seagull, I was just trying to come up with an exotic English bird, right. for instance, that they could have as a frame of reference. Uh, look, I, I don't want to, um, you know, do any sort of spoiler or anything because we are going to talk about like um, steps to buying bikes. But myself, I, I always go head badge number one, paint scheme uh, number two, and then just kind of bundle everything else in. Uh, so, so based on on that, which bike of this test wins? Now you're putting me on the spot. I don't know if we do want to spoil that, but I've got to say that that curve warmer, uh, the, the curve, uh, Kevin, Kevin, Kevin of steel, beautiful, crisp blue, uh, sky blue 
paint job and that, that lovely head badge was pretty nice. Meanwhile, we also had a, a mustard coloured Richie, which uh, which sounds like it would not be a very good colour, but it's it's actually quite fetching. It reminds me, I, I think I, I wrote it up when it first came out and I described it as the very specific frame of reference as the colour of Volkswagen that my uncle had when I was growing up. And if that's not a relevant reference for every listener, then I don't know what is. I've got to say, I do absolutely love the colour of that Richie, genuinely. Um, but I think the thing that really stands out to me is that breakaway. It's the cleanest, most beautiful breakaway uh, I think I've ever seen. I love it. It's it's pretty handy. I, I You'll see a video of me trying to put the breakaway bike into a suitcase and, and succeeding. I was surprised at how well that went. But forgive me if I don't look like a natural on my first go. Yeah, that was, uh, I guess, with no flights happening recently and you only just getting that bike, you didn't have a lot of practice with uh, with using the breakaway prior to uh, prior to this trip. But to get it home, you had to get it in its case. Um, I have to say, having been an owner of a breakaway, I was quite impressed with uh, how well that breakaway fit. I, I was sure that you are going to have to disassemble it further than what you did. So it went together. Sorry, it came apart very quickly. To set the scene, there were five of us, uh, as well as a videographer and a photographer, all standing around Ian, putting pressure on him while he spent the good part of three quarters of an hour packing. Come on, mate. Uh, set off. That was like 20 minutes. 70 to 75 minutes oh. uh, packing this bike. Uh, all, of course, like giving our expert advice on how you can fit it in. But I was very impressed you did squeeze that yeah. thing in there. Yeah. How, many, yeah. how many cycling tips tough does it take to cha- to break a bike apart? It's... Look, I'd, I'd say that it's a very heckle-heavy heckle-heavy workplace, and and now we've got it on record. <laughs> okay, in fairness, maybe it was a little shorter than 75 minutes, but <laughs> by God, it felt like a long time. Anything else that we think's worth mentioning? I mean, we've ridden some some big mountains this weekend. Uh, is it is it worth talking about uh, maybe some of the, the food that awaited us at the bottom of the mountains? This is really my sweet spot because I didn't ride up any of the mountains. I was just on gravel bikes. So, let's talk about the food. We had a very competitive Palmer. We had some outstanding donuts from Harrietville. Harrietville. Yeah, can I just talk about the donuts for a moment? Because I think this is important. Yep. This was one of the best donuts, if not the best donut that I've ever eaten. And usually at the bottom of Hotham, you would assume that that is a direct result of how buckled you are and like Basically, anything will taste. So, Hotham being? Oh, sorry, Mount Hotham, which is, a, you know, whatever is climb about 1,200 meters or so. However, I had the pleasure of only descending down. So, I was not in any uh, sad state at all. And it was still an excellent, excellent donut. Uh, I think at the time, uh, unfortunately, I'm gluten-free. And at the time, they were telling me that no matter how sick I were to get from eating this donut, it was would be, it would be worth it. Uh, I sadly regret not eating in the donut and being gluten intolerant gluten free yeah gluten intolerant yeah, i can't stand the stuff it's an intolerance yeah not an allergy you're just playing it off. i'm just playing it up because of that you also missed out on some delicious beers that we had at bright brewery you missed out on a palmer which was that is a breaded meat yeah. and you can't have that no nor should you no. I mean, I've, I've remained relatively healthy and not sick this week. So, by uh, refusing to drink and not eat uh, basically everything that was passed along to me. I did enjoy the fact that we uh, set the scene for one of our roundtables uh, we, where we were discussing some of the bikes. Uh, it was about 8 o'clock in the morning at a winery and uh, we polished off, polished off a couple of glasses before 10 a.m. 10 yeah, I've, I've done a few of these things where we end up at a nice refreshing beverage places to to do some discussions and normally i can't drink the beverages and once a bottle of rosé was put in front of me i i perhaps got a little a little greedy uh by the last video i was really struggling to close us out for the to tell uh, everyone to subscribe i was struggling with that word were you cycling tipsy i've got nothing to come back to you with that well played. As with any Cycling Tips editorial product, all of the reviews are completely independent. We've been hosted up here by Ride High Country and we've had an awesome time. It's been really, really good. We can't wait for you to see it. So make sure that you check it out on cyclingtips.com when it uh, rears its head. And until then, 
We'll catch you on the flippity flip side. All right. I think that's the end of it out of uh, out of Bright Australia from the Cycling Tips Australian team. I think it's probably time also to get out of my bedroom. So, all right. We'll call we'll call it there. See ya. Uh, normally, this is Kaylee's place to uh, to bid you a fond farewell at the end of the podcast. Uh, he's so good at that, but he has stopped his recorder. So that leaves it to the rest of us to bid you farewell this week. Uh, hope you enjoyed the Psychotips podcast. We had a good time. See you next time. Apparently, when James is not on the podcast, it's just chaos. You'd think that like he only has one segment, but for some reason... <laughs> it's fun chaos. It's enjoyable chaos. I never Tune said that I time. didn't like chaos. I was a bike racer. And you're the editor of the Chaotic Podcast, so enjoy. Yeah, well. Cool. Bye, y'all. Are we hanging up now? I was going to. Okay.